This is a production by One and All Media. For more, head to oneandall.media. What if the gospel, the good news, is that this magnificent God is present and at work every moment, in every life, in every instant of time, in every square inch of the cosmos. He's fully involved in your life every moment of the day. Today. 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 Today with Jeff Fines, pastor, apologist, and Bible teacher. You're listening to Today with Jeff Vines. Here is today's program. We're about to hear from Pastor Jeff with more from his Simple Truths series. The whole series is available on your podcast app wherever you listen to your podcast. Just search for Today with Jeff Vines. Today, Pastor Jeff continues to encourage us to trust that God can carry us through the trials He allows us to experience. Let's join Pastor Jeff now as he preaches from John chapter 7, verse 37, which reads, On the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. John chapter 7, verse 37. I'm going to tell you something that happened to me before I read the passage, and I know nothing like this would ever happen to anybody here or has happened. Uh, Road rage in LA. Ever happened to anybody? No, 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 no. Now, see, I don't have to fight it that much because I don't go into town, so I don't fight that traffic going in, the traffic coming out. I just basically live over in the Covina area, and I just come into the, the, the offices over in Grand and here, so I don't face it a lot. Uh, this past week, Actually, it was a couple of weeks ago. I'm driving, and I'm merging in, and some driver who's already on the 57, I, I try to merge nicely, don't you? I'm trying to merge nicely, so I notice that he doesn't want to let me in, so at first I speed up so I don't slow him down, and then I realize he's not going to like that, so he speeds up, so I slow down. I say, fine, go ahead, and I'll come in after you. Well, he sees that I slow down, so he slows down, and it's like he's not going to let me in, doesn't matter what. And I, does that ever happen to you? And, and then and it's like he's going to run me off the road then. I'm just trying to be Mr. Nice Guy, but then, of course, when that didn't work, I became Mr. Mean Guy. Now, that just ticked me off. And I'm a pastor, and I, and I know that, and I've got my daughter in the car, and I don't really want her to see how I act, but she's seen it before, unfortunately. And I'm really mad. Does that ever happen? Is there something that swells up within you that you don't know where it comes from, but it's not a good thing? It's not of God. It's from the other place. It's like a monster. You know, it's almost like you're possessed because you stop thinking. Now, what's really scaring me right now is I'm seeing some of you men, you're dazed right now. You're thinking about that last night, aren't you? That happened two days ago. I'm really concerned that we're supposed to be different. So I'm, I'm driving around and I think, okay, that's it. And I'm, and I'm not thinking. At this point, the emotions are just running. So you're not thinking rationally. And I think, okay, how can I get this guy without letting my daughter see? So I said, I'm going to speed up and I'm going to do what most men do. Speed up, go around him and just give him the look. That's all you got to do. It's like, that's all you got to do. Now, this guy's ready for the look. He's obviously experienced it before. And so as I speed up to go around him, he can't speed up to pass me because there's a car in front of him now. So I speed up. He doesn't even look at me. I wrote it down. He gave me a hand gesture. That's the nicest way I can say it. And he didn't even wait for me to get around on the other side. He just held it up. You know, he, waited. he wasn't going to make any eye contact. He just held it up and waited for me to see it as I passed because he knew I'd be looking. Now, Dane Johnson says that's why he carries a Bible in his passenger side, and he just lifts it up when he gets that. Now, 
To me, I'm not sure what good that would do. What, what is, that, do that wouldn't make me feel better. And again, I'm looking at some of you men and you're not laughing because this is too real to you. I realize that. But there's something within me that just started to rise and it was not pretty. And I, you know, how am I going to deal with this? Now, I want you to remember that, especially because I'm thinking, you know what? Doesn't this guy know that I'm in a hurry to get to my office so I can write a message on how the kingdom of God can become a reality in my life? And he's holding me up. You see how that's going? So all that starts to fire. Now, I want you to remember that, and I want you to pull it back in later, because remember what we said last week? We said that a lot of people have reduced the gospel to the minimal entry requirements to get into heaven when you die. But Jesus came and he said, the gospel is more than that. Now stay with me. This is, to me, this is like gold. And it's something that it's been developing in my life over a period of time. Yes, it is true that the gospel is this, that we're separated from God because of our sin. And the cross of Jesus Christ enables us to cross over because God sees us as righteous now because we've paid the penalty for our sin. That's true. But the gospel is about more than that. Jesus said he was a kingdom bringer and that he wanted to issue in this promised life to you and me. That everything we're looking for, significance, hope, love, contentment, that what I call deep self-satisfaction, where every day when we get up is a life of joy, looking forward to the day, and everything is just good. That kind of life, the promised life. Jesus says, you don't have to wait to heaven, man. It's right now. It's your life, and you can have it. All you got to do is walk in. But you and I also know the reality that that's not our life, as I just demonstrated to you about what I did on the 57, that there's a huge gap. How do we fill it? Now listen, please follow me today. Nobody ever told me this when I was growing up. My pastor never told me there's a way to bridge the gap. There's a way the gap is closed and it's not by working harder. It's not. What is it then? Well, it starts with Jesus' words in John 7, 37. When he gives us the first clue, he says, on the last and greatest day of the feast, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, if anyone is thirsty, in other words, do you feel discontent? Are you dissatisfied? Do you feel a longing for something more? And you know that something more exists. Jesus says, if that's you, he says, come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. Now listen, just Careful. I'm, I'm assuming you actually want to learn the word. You would actually want to know what the word says about your life. That you don't want me to stand up here every weekend and tell you three funny stories, bring you to tears, and then say, let's go home. You'd actually like to learn what the word says, right? I'm assuming that. Okay, if that is true, then we got to do some hard work here. Because the old King James Version, it says, out of his belly will flow streams of living water. And when Jesus' audience heard that, they knew immediately what Jesus meant. But you and I don't because we're 2,000 years removed. That's part of the problem. But we're going to solve that. And it's going to lead us to that life where we close the gap between promised life and my life. Jesus says out of his belly, out of his corleos, out of his core, out of everything that is everything about you exists, that place. You know, that place that gets tied up in knots when you're anxious. That place down deep inside that gets scared to death when you're afraid. That gut feeling that you have. When you've got your child at the mall and he goes missing. Remember that feeling? That deep gut feeling where your temples throb when you're angry because somebody cut you off on the 57. You know, the real you way down deep. Jesus says that place that is unsatisfied, that wants something more, that is discontent. Jesus says, if you will follow me, then out of you, out of your belly will flow living water. That right down in your gut You'll be flowing with energy, hope, love, power, purpose, fulfillment, freedom. 
And that is not my life. It's not your life if we're honest. And we want to close the gap, but we don't know how. But Jesus says, when you do close it, oh my goodness, you wake up, you got energy, fulfillment, contentment, peace, everything that you're looking for in other areas, in other arenas, you now find. And this amazing life gets painted in the New Testament, 1 Peter 1.8. Though you've not seen them, you love them. And even though you don't see them now, you believe in them and are filled with inexpressible and glorious joy. Now, do you think those are just kind words, nice words in the Bible, or is it a reality? He goes on to say that these type of people that he's talking about, who've closed the gap, who are experiencing the promised life, they have ridded themselves now of malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, slander. They've humbled themselves under God's almighty hand. Now, how many of you in the audience would right now say that that pretty much describes your life? You are a life filled with inexpressible joy, and you've rid yourself of malice and deceit and hypocrisy, envy and slander. And when people see you, they say, wow, look at you. Your belly is overflowing with living water. And you've pretty much conquered humility. How many of you say that represents your life? Well, the answer to that question is no, neither do I. Who does? There is the gap and we want to bridge it. We want to close it. And we know that's related with how we experience what we need to experience in life. Now, here's the issue. Before, we let this verse just kind of like come out and flow everywhere and we're all changed and we have a life-defining moment. The first thing we got to do is talk about how most people try to close the gap. I call it gap management strategies that you and I have been doing for so long because nobody ever told us it could be do done a different way. Five responses usually to the gap. And we think it's going to work and it never does. And we wonder why, because it's not the Bible way. First of all, some people just try harder. They say to themselves, I'm, going to, I'm just not being heroic enough. I'm going to close this gap by sheer spiritual elbow grease. I'm going to work harder. I'm going to pray longer. I'm going to read another book. I'm going to listen to another Jeff Vine sermon tape. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but I'm going to listen to another one. I'm going to learn more disciplines. I'm going to serve harder and work harder. And that ought to do it. You hear about somebody that gets up every morning at 4 a.m. and prays. And you say, wow, that must be how you close the gap. You got to get up earlier and you get up at four o'clock. The problem is you're not a morning person. As a matter of fact, when you're up at 4 a.m., you're dazed and confused. You're grumpy and you're groggy. And nobody wants to be around you at four. Not even Jesus wants to be around you <laughs> at 4 a.m. But you say to yourself, this is hard. It's exhausting and it's miserable. So it must be spiritual. It must be God's will for my life because it hurts and it's, it's ugly, painful. But the secret is that your secret is you've been doing that all your life and you're spiritually weary. You're tired. You're kind of fed up. You say, man, I can't do this. My life, it's too hard. Do you know that you're the ones that Jesus said this to? Come to me. All you who are weary, I'll give you rest because you're missing it. Who did Jesus speak or reserve his most harsh words for? Religious people. Why? Because they kept writing reams and reams of paper that if you're going to close the gap, you got to do this, you got to do that, you got to do this, you got to do that. And everybody just kind of felt overwhelmed. Jesus says to them, no, come to me, I'll give you rest. So other people, other than try harder, they just try to pretend. They know there's the gap. They know their life, promised life, does not look like this life or their life doesn't look like the promised life. So you know what they do? They fake it. They decide they're just going to fake it. You ever met that kind of person? Their life is a miracle a minute. 
God does a miracle, oh God, every hour of the day. They smile all the time. Every prayer they've ever prayed, God answered. And every decision is a word from God. And every sentence they say ends with, praise the Lord, hallelujah, I'm just living by grace, brother. And they get this whole other language that nobody's ever heard of. It's called gap management. It's an entire subculture in Christianity because they get really good at impression management. They never want you to think that something's not right in their life, that the gap isn't fully closed. There's a third group of people. They just rededicate their lives all the time. Now, you got to stay with me here. I never went to church camp when I was young. I went to basketball camp every summer. I lived my life on the basketball court. And all my friends who did go, they would always come back and tell me about it. Now, I got to be careful because you you're not supposed to really speak about something that you've never attended. I've never been to Christian camp. I'm not the camping type. I don't like the outdoors that much and taking showers that are cold. And, you know, anyway, that's a long story. I never went. Basketball camp. But my friends would come back. And this started around the age of six all the way to the age of 18. And they'd come back and they'd tell me. And I noticed there was a pattern developing after a while. They'd talk about how great the worship was on Monday. And you could just feel it building. They'd say, it's building, it's building. And then on, the, on Thursday or Friday, the last night of the camp, some youth pastor would come in and speak to all the youth. And he'd say, on this very night, just one year ago, there was a group of teenagers going home after camp and they had a car accident and they were all killed. So you better repent tonight. And I kept hearing this story year after year so that by the time I was 18, ready to graduate, I wondered how there were any kids left to go to camp. I thought they'd all been killed in a car accident. You can only tell that story so often, right? Some people have this emotional thing, not that there's anything wrong with emotional, but there is, things, there is such a thing as emotionalism where you make decisions, but they don't last because they're not connected with the way Jesus said the gap is closed. And so you make an emotional decision, but nothing changes. And then other people... Some just keep switching spiritual venues. Oh, these are my favorite people. I read a story about a guy who was on a, a deserted island, stuck there 10, 15 years. All of a sudden, he gets found. The guy comes up. Hey, you're rescued. The guy's happy, but he notices three huts on the island. And he says to the guy, when you've been here 10 or 15 years, what are those huts? And he said, well, that hut over there is where I lived. It's where I slept. It's, it's my house. That hut over there is my church. And he said, well, what's the third hut? He said, that's the church I used to go to. <laughs> now, well, listen, if you can't get along with yourself, you've got some big problems. But here's my point. A lot of people say, you know, I go, it's my preacher's fault. He's not feeding me. Or the worship isn't what I like. And so this gap is there and it's not closing. I just need to switch churches. Now, sometimes that's true. But more often than not, people fail to realize they're the common denominator. Other people around them are growing, but they just keep shifting. And geographical location is not going to close that gap. And then there's the, the last group. They just give up. They say, you know what? Kingdom life is too hard. Now they're saved because you're saved by the cross, by the blood of Jesus. But they're resigned to live their entire lives with the kingdom of God never becoming a reality in their lives. And I'm sorry for them. And this sermon will just reignite guilt. And there's many in the room that gave up a long time ago of ever trying to close this gap. Jeff, it's too hard. It can never happen. I'm resigned to a life of defeatism, of just a life that is never going to find its significance, contentment, peace. Jeff, you don't know my life. Listen, I don't have to know your life. What I'm about to tell you is going to close the gap if you'll listen just for a minute. Because what if? What if there is another way? What if Jesus was right? And chances are high that he is. What if he was right? What if it's possible to become increasingly alive with joy and peace and contentment 
and love and inner peace down deep inside a sense of great satisfaction. What if it's possible that that would happen? And these rivers of living water, whatever they are, that we'll talk about in a moment, that these, living, this, these rivers of living water would flow out from you. And it's not by trying harder. That there's a different way. What if the main person that will close this gap is not you? It's somebody else. What if the Apostle Paul knew what he was talking about when he said in Philippians 1.6, I am confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. Who began the good work? Starts with G, ends with D, middle letter O. God began the good work. Who will bring it to completion? God. Is that you? Now, if you think you're God, that's another sermon. You're not God. It's God that began the work and God who will bring it to completion. What if Paul's right in Philippians 2.13? For it is who? God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. Who is it that's working? Who? Who's working? Is that you? No. 2 Corinthians 3.18. That we with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory are what? Being transformed. In other words, it's being done to you. Being transformed into his likeness with ever increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Now, take a deep breath because I need to. I want to be teacher. And then I'll go back to preacher. Teacher for a moment. Jesus says in John chapter 7, he's trying to tell you and me something that his first century audience would have clearly understood. There is a river of living water flowing around you every moment of the day. It's available to you. To understand why that should motivate you, you have to understand how it is the Bible uses the imagery of a flowing river. Because the imagery of a flowing river symbolizes the promised life. Remember, teaching time now, so you got to get your teaching, you got to get your analytical mind going. Israel in the first century, or for much of Israel's history, was a desert, dry. And after the rains did come, there would be these huge potholes. That's all the water you would get. And the Israelites would often assume how much better would life be if there was a river running through it. Which is why the city of God in Revelation is described as having a river that runs through it. Why? Because dryness is death, water is life. Jesus is making this comment. He's saying, around you every day, the secret to the promised life from up there coming down here is that you recognize there is a flow of the presence of God and his power that brings this life to you every day and it's not by working harder. Psalm 46 says, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. Why would the city of God be glad? Because there's water and water is life. Psalm 42, a song we used to sing. As the deer pants for water, so my soul pants for you, O God. Now we're not talking about the little deer called Bambi who's a little thirsty for some little water. We're talking about a deer in desert country who's panting because he's going to die if he doesn't get water. Something people saw every day. Do you know what the psalmist is saying? He's saying if this water, if this availability of God's spirit around you every day, this river is ever becomes blocked and you can't have access to it, your life is going to be described as unsatisfied desire, spiritual dryness, moral failure, and ultimately death. But the good news is this, for the believer... The water is never blocked, ever. It is always flowing. So what if the Spirit of God is like a river flowing all the time 
And your job is not to try harder, to get up earlier, or to run faster. What if, now listen, what if the gospel, now we're having to think, you say, Jeff, get to it. I am, I am. But we got to put everything in the funnel and let it come out in the end. You got to be patient. What if the gospel, the good news, is that this magnificent God is present and at work every moment, in every life, in every instant of time, in every square inch of the cosmos? What if he's fully present in your life every moment of the day? Now stay with me. We talk about God as being omnipresent. Do you know what that means? That means if I need God here, he's not busy in Chicago and I got to wait. It means that at every, listen, at every single moment, every millisecond, every passing moment, God is completely and fully involved in your life. He doesn't divide himself up in everybody's life and only has time for one at a time. No, he is fully, because that's what it is to be omnipresent. He's fully involved in your life every minute, every millisecond, every moment of the day. You say, Jeff, what on earth is he doing? I'm glad you ask. I have a friend, stay with me. Got a friend in Hawaii. How many of you ever been to Hawaii? Okay, got a friend. I have a friend over there who wanted to teach me to surf. Now, I just can't do it. Now, I'm sorry. I know as a California boy now, which I'm not really, but I'm trying. I just can't surf. Uh, you know, hand-eye, I'm okay. Give me a basketball, baseball, football, golf, whatever. Hand-eye, I'm good. But ask me to use my feet to do something, forget it. And I, I can't balance. I, can't, you know, I, I have a hard time walking just on flat ground. <laughs> but he's trying to teach me to surf. And he gives me these three lessons. You know, number one, he says he tries to explain to me that if you're going to learn to surf, usually beginners need a bigger board. So he gave me a, a barge. That's what, that's what it looked like to me. Second, he said, uh, you know, you need to learn to recognize a rideable wave. Now, you surfers, you can correct me if, I, if I'm wrong, but you, you, it's good to recognize a rideable wave. And uh, so he taught me a little bit about that. And then he, he gave me a long speech about how not to die, which I found very interesting. And I listened very closely, how not to die. Now, what is the one thing he never covered? How to make a wave. Whose job is it to make a wave? All right, starts with G, ends in D, middle letter O. Come on. <laughs> Whose job to make a wave? What's my job? Whose job is it to make a wave? What do I do? Ride it. And you know what the beautiful thing about this analogy is? That if I miss one wave, another is sure to follow. And the kingdom of God is about so much grace that no matter how many waves you miss, your entire life, he keeps sending them. He never stops Sending them, because in the life of the Christian, the flow's always there. You just got to dive in. You say, Jeff, you're getting close, but you're still confusing me. Okay. What are you trying to say? God is the great wave machine. <laughs> That's what he is. He's just the great wave machine. And when I'm on the 57, and I responded to that guy the way that I did, I got out of the flow. I could tell that I cut myself off to any sensitivity of the moving of the Spirit of God. I was out of the flow. Good news is, all I got to do is say, God, I'm sorry. Here comes another wave. Now, follow me. I think this is gold to me, man. Gold. You've grown up in church and you've heard James 1, 2 through 4 all your life. But have you ever really understood what it's saying? He says, consider it pure joy, my brethren, when you face trials of various kinds. Parapetto is the Greek word. It means when you fall into trials of various kinds. And then he says, blah, 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 blah. It doesn't say that. And I'm not, I'm, I'm just saying you get to the end of that. Then it says you will be lacking nothing. Do you know what this means? You got to change the way you're looking at your disappointments 
your inconveniences in your life. You've got to stop thinking, the world's out to get me. This is the devil, surely. What if God is the constant wave-making machine and he keeps sending you waves because he knows if you're going to ever experience the promised life, you've got to learn to ride the wave. You've been listening to Today with Jeff Fines. Thanks for joining us. Next time, we'll bring you the rest of this message from Pastor Jeff. Isn't that what happened to the Apostle Paul? God said, no, this is a wave. You're going to have to ride for the rest of your life until you learn something. He learned the secret of being content in every circumstance. Paul's joy and contentment and hope and self-satisfaction was not dependent on anything external, on a resolve to trust and put everything in your life in one basket, the God basket. You can listen to more messages like this. Just search for Today with Jeff Fines wherever you listen to podcasts. Today. 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 Today with Jeff Fines. This is a production by One and All Media. For more, head to oneandall.media.